Good morning. Thank you, Dan, for your kind and gracious introduction. I must confess, uh, when Aaron first uh, invited me to preach a couple of months ago and told me we'd been doing the Minor Prophets, I was delighted. Little did I know that I'd be at the very close of the series <laughs> that I've been spectating from, from the bleachers for the last few months. So I sort of feel like the pitcher coming up in the ninth inning. Don't drop the ball, Sean. <laughs> Our text this morning is Habakkuk. Um, you can find it on page 785 in your pew Bibles. It's also in your order of worship if you'd like to follow along with me. We're going to look at chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, and then chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. I'll read it for us, and then we'll pray. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. The Lord's answer. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising of the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome, their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves, their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose might is their God. And now chapter 3 from verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that every time we open the scriptures, we hear your voice. Lord, to who else will we go? For you have the words of eternal life. 
Father, would you breathe your words into us now from Habakkuk, that they might become our words to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. When you look at the world, what do you see? When you look at our country, our city, our community, our church, our life, what do you see? Habakkuk took a good look around at Israel and Jerusalem, and he didn't like what he saw. And so he starts in verse 2 with the cry of lament. Many of us have had times when we question God. Perhaps we feel angry with Him. We cry out. We ask Him hard questions. And maybe just a few of us at times have felt bold enough to confront God. Habakkuk was such a man. In fact, he's so bold that when God answers his complaint... He's not satisfied with the answer and complains even further and probes God with bold intensity. Habakkuk is a very unusual book. Usually a prophet hears the word from God and then he turns to Israel and says, Thus says the Lord and gives God's message as an intermediary. But Habakkuk never once addresses God's people. He only speaks to God and God speaks back to him. So just spending a moment setting this book in context, this book was written in the late 7th century after the first fall of Jerusalem from Babylon. The second invasion is on the horizon. Babylon casts a long shadow over Israel. And it's a time when God's people were entangled in idolatry and injustice and violence and wickedness. And Habakkuk sees all of this, and he also sees the rising threat of Babylon, Israel's mortal enemies. And so seeing that and coming to chapter 1, it helps us understand why Habakkuk begins this book with a cry of lament and contention to the Lord God. He's filled with distress and bitterness at what he sees, and so he has someone to blame. God. In verses 2 to 4, he says, God, you don't hear. God, you don't save. God, you look idly at wrong. God, your law is paralyzed. God, justice is never served. And God, your law is perverted. In a sentence, Habakkuk is saying, God, what are you doing? Nothing. Look at all the wickedness and injustice in this world, and yet you do nothing about it. That's where he's at. But I want to say, as hard as these opening words are, this book is a gift to us. It's a gift to the church, because it certainly gives expression to the way we might feel at times. But it also shows us how to move from the pit of despair to hope in the high places. It's a beautiful spiritual roadmap. This book begins with Habakkuk crying and contending with God. 
But how does it end? Very differently. Look with me again at chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. He says, Even if I don't see figs on the trees or fruit on the vines, no olives, no food, no herds, even if the land is desolate, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll take joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's bounding up in the high places. It's such an astonishing reversal. Such a change in tone. You'd almost think that chapter 3 of Habakkuk was written by someone else. So the question is, how did he get there? What changed in this man? What was his roadmap? How did he move from contending and crying in the beginning of the book to rejoicing amidst the ruins at the end? I think the answer is this. He heard God speak. And so that leads us to the big idea of the book of Habakkuk, which I think is this. Seeing comes by hearing. It's God's word that opens our eyes. And so believing is seeing. This book begins with Habakkuk saying, the oracle that I saw, it begins with him saying, God, I see all these things and you're doing nothing. But along the way, his heart is changed by hearing and believing the words of God. So what is it exactly that God says that produces such an enormous transformation in Habakkuk's heart? Well, chapters 1 and 2 follow a simple pattern. Habakkuk complains, then the Lord gives him an answer. Habakkuk doesn't like the answer, he complains even harder, and God responds again. And then in chapter 3, there's this massive change. And so Habakkuk's first complaint ends with questions hanging in the air. Is God idle? Has justice failed? Will God do something or is he in heaven taking a nap? Far from it. Look at chapter 1 verse 5 and what God says. Look and see. Look and see. You see things, Habakkuk, but look and see this. I'm going to do something that you would not believe. Look and see. Hear what I say and your eyes will be opened. And God says, I do see the violence. I do see injustice. He sees it all. And here comes the medicine. Punishment from the Babylonians. You can imagine Habakkuk taking a deep breath in shock and being horrified. Not the Babylonians. Okay, we're, we're, we're guilty of sin and injustice, no doubt. But the Babylonians, they're idolaters. They're wicked. You're going to use them to punish us. In the words of Francis Bacon, the cure seems worse than the disease. It's a strong, strong medicine to take. And sometimes life is like that. In World War II, the Soviet army facing Nazi advancement in Operation Barbarossa in 1941, 
the Soviet Army introduced what's called the scorched earth policy. As they retreated from the advancing Nazis, they burned the villages and the fields. And the goal of that was to make sure that as the Nazis advanced, they didn't have access to food or water or shelter in the harsh Soviet winter. That was their cure for the disease. And I'm sure the Soviet people felt that this remedy was harder than the disease. And I think that's exactly how Habakkuk and Israel must have felt when they heard how God was going to deal with the sickness. The Babylonians, that brutal, relentless, advancing empire. Look at how God describes them in verses 5 to 11. This is what God says about them. I'm raising them up. They're bitter and hasty. They march through the breadth of the earth. They take what's not theirs. They're dreaded. They're fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swift. They're fierce. They press proudly on. They come for violence. They're swift to devour. They cap gather captives like sand. Absolutely terrifying description. And so Habakkuk went on from this to complain again. You must be joking. Not them. You see, for Habakkuk, God's ways did not fit with his framework of how God should act. And so he's still angry and bitter at God. He says, you can't possibly be silent and stand by when a people even worse than us come to punish us. And so he really goes on to probe God. But God's showing Habakkuk and Israel and all of God's people in all places that there's always been an ongoing judgment of the nations. It's been like that from the beginning and will continue to be so until Jesus returns. And at some point in its life, every nation becomes like Babylon. Think of all the great empires down the years. Egypt, Babylon, Assyria, the Persians, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire. Emperors that at their height seem to rule the world and have no end. Where are they now? On the scrap heap. In the dustbin of history. But your throne, O God, endures forever. The sins of Babylon can be found in every nation, and God will bring all nations to justice. But it still leaves us with an important question. In the midst of injustice and wickedness in our lives, in our city, and in our world, how are we to live? How can we possibly move forward? How did Habakkuk move forward? God gives the answer in chapter 2, verse 4. He says, the righteous will live by faith. That's the way. Faith. Not our efforts. Not our answers. Not our striving. Not our struggling. It's by faith in God alone. That's the way forward. For all of God's people in all times and in all places. Faith. And Hebrews defines faith as an assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. Isn't that one of the reasons why we gather together on Sundays? We share a faith in things that we can't see yet. We share 
a conviction together of the things we hope for when we die and rise with Jesus. We don't see those things yet, but we share a hope and conviction of those things. That's what faith is. And that epistle reading we had earlier from Hebrews 10, which was written to Christians who were struggling with persecution from the Roman Empire in the early days of the church. The writer of Hebrews quoted Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, and he said, In the midst of suffering and persecution and injustice, you live by faith. That's the way. That church is the roadmap. And so that verse, the righteous will live by faith, that's the anchor that Habakkuk gave Israel and he gives us to hold on to for hope in the midst of the storm. And God goes on to say, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We're not there yet, but we will be. You know, if Habakkuk was the last of the prophets, it would be a dark and gloomy ending, wouldn't it? Because even though he ends hopeful, the reality is the Babylonians are on the way, and they did come, and they did destroy, and they did take them captive. It would be a very dark and gloomy ending if this was the last of the prophets. But he wasn't. Again, Hebrews chapter 1 says, Long ago, at many times and many places, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, the last and great prophet. And in the fullness of time, many centuries after Habakkuk, God did send again. But this time it wasn't Babylon. This time it wasn't a hard empire. This time God sent his son, Jesus. And Jesus did not come to punish, but to rescue, to forgive, to redeem, and to restore. And when Jesus came, he perfectly displayed the glory of the Lord that covers the face of the earth. But Jesus set aside that glory and came to be judged in our place. I'm sure when Habakkuk and Israel heard these words of God, they would have felt forsaken. Jesus knew all about that. Like Habakkuk, Jesus cried out to God. And his cry before his final breath was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus has entered into the places where you and I dwell. He understands. And he cried that cry so that you and I never have to. And so as our world falls apart and the walls come tumbling in, faith is the way forward. That's how we live. That's how we press on. We might tremble, we might experience fear, weeping might come in the night, but by faith, joy will come in the morning. 
and there will be healing in our wings. Why? Because God hears our cries. He has done something about it. And the day is coming when he will set things right again. But until that day comes from the beginning of the Bible to the end of time, faith is what God calls us to. And that's how Habakkuk learned to live in the face of coming judgment. And it's the only way we can live in our broken and fallen world. As we face Babylon's on our own day, as Christians in some part of the world face persecution and injustice on a daily basis, are bombed on their way to church on a Sunday morning, faith is the way forward. So Habakkuk hears all these things. How does he respond? More crying? More contending? More accusations? No. His response is rejoicing in the ruins. What happened? Habakkuk moved from being a man blinded by pride and accusing God to being someone who sees by hearing and is now filled with joyful submission, rejoicing in the ruins. Look at chapter 3, verse 16. He says, I hear this and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Make no mistake, he's terrified at the coming judgment in the hands of the Babylonians. And what does he say? Yet I will quietly wait. I will quietly wait. Believing is seeing. His tone has changed from contending to rejoicing. Habakkuk's body language has changed from standing on the tower before God and waiting for an answer to trembling and having his knees shaking. His spiritual posture has changed from accusing God to praising him. I will quietly wait. And then in verse 17 to 19, we see how his eyes have been opened. Even if I don't see figs, even if there's no fruit, no olives, no food, no herds, even if there's nothing but desolation, I will rejoice in the Lord. God is my strength. And even in the midst of all the ruin, He can make my fear like the deer's so I can jump and rejoice in the high places. I want to say to you, my brothers and sisters, these wonderful words are God's words to us so they can become our words to God. I think books like Habakkuk and some of the Psalms give us permission to cry out to God in those moments. And it also shows us the way forward. This book ends with astonishing hope and praise amidst destruction. And so here in a sentence is what's happened to Habakkuk. He's become a righteous man who lives by faith. So he got there. He becomes an example. And God shows us if he can change a man who's crying out and accusing God like that, there's hope for all of us. There's hope for all of us.
How can we appropriate this faith of Habakkuk? How can we rejoice if our lives right now are filled with ruin? Same way, hearing and believing the Word of God. But I want to say to you, sometimes crying out is all we can do. And if that's where you're at right now, I want to assure you, God can take it. He can hear it. And I want you to know, and God wants you to know, and Habakkuk wants you to know, that God hears your crying. He hears your crying by day. He sees the tears you shed at night. And he hears the whispers in the moments of despair. God hears you. And he can take the crying out. Some of my very favorite verses are at the very end of Exodus chapter 2. There are a couple of short verses that I feel are extraordinarily hopeful. Moses says that under slavery to Pharaoh, Israel was feeling oppressed by the burden and they were groaning out to God under slavery. And there's this beautiful little pregnant sentence that is packed with so much hope. Moses says, God heard, God heard their cries. God saw the slavery and God knew. And if you're in the place right now where you feel life is ruined, you're struggling with our world or our city, I want to tell you, God hears, God knows, and God sees. And keep coming to Him and listening to His words. And may they be the roadmap for you to coming to that place where even in the ruins, you just might rejoice. We all have our questions. We all want to ask why God so often. And the reality is God's ways are often inscrutable. But maybe, just maybe, the better question to ask is, where are you? In the midst of all this brokenness and trouble, God, where are you? And Jesus gives us the answer. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Faith is the way forward. Trust is the answer to trouble. That's the roadmap from contending and crying to rejoicing among the ruins that we face. And so as we face injustice and wickedness, Jesus is our rock. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our prophet who knows what it is to be forsaken, who knows what it is to be in the dark and broken places, who knows what it is to be alone, who knows what it is to cry all night in the garden. He understands and he's with us in those moments. And he is the one who can cause you to one day stand in hope and press on in joy. And he is the one who leads us to a new destiny 
a certain hope and an inheritance that is imperishable and unfading, kept in heaven for you and for me. So, when you look at the world, what do you see? My friends, hearing is seeing. Amen.